Hello and welcome. My name is Robert Buffard and this is the Robert's Thoughts MovieCast. Today we have a little bit of an unconventional type of episode. Um, I don't really have a big overarching topic to discuss the way I normally do. I couldn't find a good anniversary or birthday that would line up with this week, so I decided to make it a sort of free-for-all episode. So we have some listener and friend of the show questions that came in that I'll be answering later on in the show, but we're actually first going to start off because I have a guest sitting by. I was going to say standing by, but he's sitting. So I have a guest sitting by ready to have a conversation with me today. And that is my brother, Jacob. He's been on before. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Coronavirus exists, but I think that is pretty much true for all of us. Yeah, unfortunately, that's something that none of us can escape unless we choose to not believe. Anyway, um, we're going to be... Jake was supposed to be on at the end of July. We were going to have a conversation about Harry Potter, um, and that was going to be a conversation about the books and the movies. And I think I teased that when you were on, when we talked about Game of Thrones. I think I said, you'll be back when we talk about Harry Potter. But obviously, it's past the end of July. It's the end of August now. And it'll be beginning of September by the time this comes out. And there was no Harry Potter episode. The reason for that um, was if you've been on Twitter or just read the entertainment news at all lately in the last few months, you have probably seen that J.K. Rowling has made a lot of unfortunate comments. Um, And again, we're not going to get into those comments, but that's just put a little pause on myself on whether or not I want to devote a whole episode that promotes the work of, of someone who, who shares those kinds of views and who expresses those views the way that she has been expressing them. So we put, we pushed off the Harry Potter episode, but I really love talking to my brother, Jake uh, in general, and especially about the kinds of things that I talk about in this podcast. So we're here to talk about just the part of that episode that was going to be book to movie adaptations, or in this case, we're also going to be mentioning some comic book to movie adaptations. So I didn't, I didn't tell you to prepare for this question, but Jake, why do you think that I chose you to be on this little conversation topic? Um, I would say probably because we both grew up consuming the same type of media and we both grew up pretty much loving that same stuff and most of that was eventually adapted on the screen, silver screen or big screen TV in some way, shape or form. So we both, since we've had similar exposure to it, would have maybe similar uh, things to say about it. Or maybe we could bounce different ideas off of each other because we are both so knowledgeable about the things we love about these things and the things we don't. Yeah. So like we said, this kind of stemmed from the Harry Potter idea, but it exists in a lot more than just Harry Potter uh, between the two of us, because again, we grew up in the same house um, and we're fairly close, I would say. Um, so we know the types of things that each other are into, like the, the, sor- the sorts of stories that we like. Um, so we've both read Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, and watched the screen adaptations of those. So we thought it would just be a fun and interesting idea to see where we could go to talk about those kinds of ideas and people's attitudes towards the adaptations. And we'll get into 
the specifics of that uh, as we go along. So let's start off then by talking about Harry Potter. I'm going to let you take this one to begin with because I think you might have more Harry Potter knowledge than I do. And again, we're acknowledging all the problems around the Harry Potter fan base right now, but we're still going to devote this section of the show to it. So what what is it about Harry Potter that's always been appealing to you? Like so much of the media I consume, Harry Potter is all about escapism for me. You know, it, it gives magical powers to 11-year-olds. And, you know, when you're an 11-year-old going to a really small school and and not having much of a super interesting life, no offense to my parents intended, of course, getting to sit back and imagine that you go to this massive castle every day and you get to wave sticks around and make little objects fly is just an insanely appealing concept. And that's why I think it appeals to so many people because it introduces somehow a not a concept that hadn't really been done to that extent before, but now has been done many, many times over since then. Right. Yeah. I, I would totally agree with you. And that's why I've talked about this before somewhere, but that's why I have always enjoyed fantasy more than anything else. Uh, it's part of the reason why I like Lord of the Rings more than anything. Um, why I mean, I got into game of Thrones so easily. And of course, Harry Potter, which was, after Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, probably the first big thing that I really got into. Um, and again, Star Wars is the same thing. I just love, and by the way, Star Wars is fantasy and not science fiction. I love the ability to, you know, explore these big worlds developed by uh, a small amount of people. So in the case of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, at least, it's a small amount of people. Or it's just one person who developed these things with J.K. Rowling and J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, in the case of Star Wars, it used to be one person with George Lucas, but since then it's been a lot more. But the idea still remains, the point still remains, that I love to just explore these worlds, these different worlds from the one that we live in in our actual everyday lives. So I did want to get into with Harry Potter that you do generally hear some outrage, not really outrage, more displeasure about certain things not being included in the movies. For example, uh, Spew, which is the the group that Hermione creates for house elves, um, that sort of thing. They don't include it in the movie because it's kind of extraneous. It's not necessary to the specific story they're telling in the movie. But it's never really bothered me. I've always been able to separate the two and say, oh, this movie is good because it's a good movie and the book is good because it's a good book. Have you been able to do something similar or the same thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we're going to get into Game of Thrones later. but So the Harry Potter movies tell basically the exact same story that the books tell. You could argue right. a little bit different than Game of Thrones, so you talk about you know, book-to-film adaptations, but you can get away with ad- adapting Harry Potter. Well, they got away with it, doing a good mm-hmm. part of it without including a bunch of all the little extraneous stuff, because like you said, it's just extraneous. It's something that's easy to include in a book, but when you want to put it into two, two and a half hour movie, it just gets extra crazy. Like, you know, everybody's favorite character, maybe not everybody's, but a fan favorite would be Peeves, the poltergeist. Right. Who is 
never mentioned, doesn't exist, whatever, in the movies. Heartbreaking, maybe to some extent, but are we really that worse off for not being able to see a floating dwarf man insulting people? Not really. Right, do the main ideas of the story and does the main plot of the story was it affected by the loss of peeves like you right said? And so you, you can have no you can have a small group of people saying these movies are terrible because they didn't include every single thing i wanted like sorry that mrs weasley's clock isn't exactly what you wanted it to look like but you can't deny that the films themselves have become one of the most successful movie franchises in history reaching such a large audience and they did that by not ex- including certain things Right, and I think that's a good way to bring up that there's eight Harry Potter movies, and I'd say maybe six of them are very good to great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would only leave out the first two, Sorcerer's Stone, because we're American. I'm sorry to any British or overseas UK listeners. Uh, and Chamber of Secrets just aren't as good, but I think they're needed to establish just the world of Harry Potter on film. Um, right. They did a good I job mean, of that. And I they're think also it's the okay that they were... Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, they're also the shortest books, yeah. um, which means they were most faithfully adapted to film. But after that, they kind of get into what we were just talking about. So go ahead with, with what you were going to say. I was going to say, I think it's okay that they weren't that good because the books themselves get progressively kind of, I don't know, darker i guess as they move on in terms of story and so do the movies and the first two are kind of more lighthearted children's movies so they acted as the the catch the audience grab to get you into like oh there's little kids running around with sticks and shooting magic bolts and whatnot and then oh there's a big snake without a nose and he's killing everybody you know but i think for their purpose they function very well very well and it's not like they're terrible movies in any respect typically the complaints that you hear about harry potter when it comes to the adaptations are that someone just doesn't like harry potter which is completely fair right you know if you don't like something you don't like something and i'm not going to begrudge you for it you don't hear like oh this movie sucks because this thing was left out um apart from the you know diehard hardcore fans and i think that's another thing we kind of wanted to touch on um, but I think we'll get to that just a little bit later. And that's kind of the gatekeeping of what, what can be good and what isn't good. Um, but did, did you have anything else you wanted to mention about Harry Potter when it comes to book to screen adaptations? I think just to reiterate what we said, for what it's worth, they did a very good job, in my opinion, adapting the books to the films. Of course, they left out certain things, but at the end of the day, uh, they still did a very good job you know i don't even have complaints about them splitting the seventh book into two films i think that was the right move because it's the the culmination of this epic story that um has a lot going on in it it's a 750 page book and a lot of the content there is very important so i think that those would be my uh concluding thoughts on harry potter you know i'm glad you brought that up actually because i've heard someone actually complain to me personally that this certain thing was left out in the sixth movie that was in the book. And it's an, it's necessary for you to understand something in the future. Um, and I think it was, they were talking about the the diadem in the book. Harry sees the diadem when he's hiding the 
the Half-Blood Prince's book in the Room of Requirement, um, but they don't show it in the movie. It's just an awkward kissing scene. But I I want to reiterate and kind of emphasize and make this the whole point of our conversation that leaving something out and making changes does not inherently make the movie worse um, because the source material isn't scripture. You know, it's not gospel. It's not perfect. Right. The source material was written to be a book. It's not written as a screenplay. So certain things in the book are just not meant to be adapted well to screen. So you, there's no other choice but to change it. Right. And I also wanted to agree with your point about splitting Deathly Hallows into two, that I think that was a great choice. Um, it set a, a bad precedent with like Twilight did it and then uh, Hunger Games did it. And even Divergent was going to do it, but Divergent got such bad box office returns that the last two never even got made. <laughs> but but it was totally warranted with Harry Potter. Um, right. And that's the, this is the one place that I will add the caveat that the way that the seventh and eighth movies followed the book so well kind of made movies one through six worse in retrospect because not necessarily that they're worse. It's just that you notice some of the omissions more um, because in the beginning of Deathly Hallows part two, you see Harry looking at the broken mirror. Right from from Sirius, and as book fans, we know that Sirius gave him the mirror, and Harry got mad, and it got shattered at the bottom of his bag. But in the movies, you never see him get the mirror, and it's just all of a sudden a thing that he has. Right. So, as a whole, there's some inconsistencies in the Harry Potter series when it comes to how well it adapts and how well it holds together as a series. But Deathly Hallows. How that's adapted is adapted really well um, and adapted really faithfully. But I'll, I'll conclude our, our Harry Potter conversation at least that I agree. The movies are all great or mostly great. The books are mostly great um, and they can exist concurrently at the same time and still both be great no matter how faithfully and how to the letter and punctuation mark the movies follow the books. Right. And I, I guess I would add one more thing. If you want to, briefly mentioned J.K. Rowling. It's easy for us to say the movies are a separate entity from the book. We can separate the two. Maybe we should end on a question not neither of us maybe are going to answer it because we don't know the answer, but can you separate the franchise from the author or is it even worth separating them? Maybe that's a topic for another day. Yeah, separating the art from the artist, that's something I struggle with constantly yeah that's gonna be today's uh, blog post by the way i always have something related as a blog post and i was thinking about it because laura and i watched the movie horrible bosses the other night uh, and that <laughs> came out for the first time and that came out in 2011 back before anything bad about kevin spacey had been unearthed right. and kevin spacey is a main character in that movie right so, so. we enjoyed the movie and we, we thought it was funny. We laughed a lot. But also, I sit there seeing Kevin Spacey thinking to myself, how can I uh, reconcile these two? And every time that happens, I, I'm i caught thinking about it. Right. And it's kind of like the same thing with Baby Driver, especially the role Kevin Spacey's character plays for Baby Driver. Yeah. But if you want to hear my full thoughts on this, check out today's blog post. I will have 
more deeper and uh, organized thoughts than what we've had here. But let's move on to The Lord of the Rings. I think it's safe to say I like The Lord of the Rings more than you do, but you still like Lord of the Rings? Oh yeah, I think it's safe to say I still like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, The Lord of the Rings has always been, ever since I first saw them, they've been my favorite movies. Um, And I was just talking about this on Sith Pop Writer's Room, I think, with Aaron Schweitzer. I was on that recently. I am every month. Shameless plug. Go listen to that. That no matter what movies come out in the future, no matter how great a movie and how much I love a movie um, in the future, Lord of the Rings is always going to be my favorite. Mm. And I say this calling the three movies one because I I can't pick a, a favorite out of the three. But I had only read the books one time in high school, and that was for book reports. And that was when it came to reading books for book reports, there was about a 10% chance I actually read it every word from <laughs> cover to cover. So I recently went and went back and read all three Lord of the Rings cover to cover for the first time. And I was a little apprehensive because I was a little bored of them when I was reading them in high school. But man, oh man, did I love these books when I when I read them. Because like I was saying at the top, I love the world building of fantasy and I've always loved that aspect of Lord of the Rings. But the books just dive so deep into that and I just ate it all up. Yeah. But, I guess for me, but, that that's one of the issues or maybe issues that I have with the books is that Tolkien is a master storyteller, but... I probably appreciate more of a quicker moving narrative where sometimes he gets stuck in going through one door after the other, where he ends up in the bottom of the ocean and across the sea from Rohan when our characters are in Mordor and somehow he can connect a snail moving in a forest to the Dark Lord of Sauron or something like that. Not right. Dark Lord Sauron. My apologies. <laughs> but I understand your point. It takes a specific type of liking to really, really appreciate uh, Tolkien and all he does. And that's a good point to bring up because among all the other stuff that he forces into the narrative, you know, all the Middle Earth backstory, all the etymology of the language, you know, that kind of stuff, which is interesting to a Tolkien fan like me or just anyone else who's 50,000 times more into it or a bigger fan than I am. Um, there's still that same core story behind it all. Mm-hmm. Like Frodo and Sam still go to Mordor, destroy the ring, encounter Gollum. You know, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli still go off to Gondor and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's tying that into our conversation. That's where Peter Jackson did such a great job with making the story of Lord of the Rings so accessible to a much wider audience. Right. Because he doesn't get... Not that Tolkien gets lost. I don't want to say he gets lost in the other stuff because Maybe it's a central to what he's bogged down. Sure. Um, but Peter Jackson just focuses on the the task at hand. Right. I just got finished, wa- finished watching all the behind-the-scenes DVDs for the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions. And he was talking about how their main point was... Frodo and Sam getting to Mordor and if something doesn't serve the story of getting the ring destroyed they weren't gonna put it in there so they were able to 
boil the story down to its most basic, you know, and make it accessible. Like Lord of the Rings is one of the most popular movie franchises of all time. And it's not because they adapted word for word the books. So maybe this is just a little bit louder in our ears because of the people related to us. Um, Some of our uncles and cousins are the hardcore Tolkien fans that we were talking about. But I hear complaints that the movies aren't good because they don't follow the books. Um, Like they, the, the movies leave out Tom Bombadil. They leave out the scouring of the Shire. The elves come to Helm's deep. A lot of the stuff that was at the end of the two towers book is at the beginning of the return of the King movie. But again, they're two separate things. Right. And that's where you have to realize that you can criticize both, but objectively that trilogy won many, many Oscars. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the ability to recognize that certain different things work one for certain different mediums, but also for different people. Right. And again, we don't want to begrudge anyone who says, I don't like Lord of the Rings or I didn't like these movies because that's, again, totally fair. It's the idea that frustrates you and I of saying of someone saying this part was missed or changed from the book and that inherently makes the movie bad. And I will say I strongly disagree. Um, So do you want to move on to The Hobbit then, which I think is a little bit of the flip side of the Lord of the Rings and we don't have to spend as much time talking about it because there's one book and three huge movies, one 300 page book and three two and a half hour plus movies. And the movies aren't all that good. Yeah. I mean, Peter Jackson having made the Lord of the Rings trilogy, I guess he figured why not go for three again. And if he was going to go for three, there's this chance to actually include a lot of the book because I guess you can get a 300 page or sorry, a, um, three. I guess you can get a trilogy from 300 pages if you do it correctly. But the problem is he did not decide to do it correctly. Maybe. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes of the Hobbit that mm. kind of, completely derailed it from what it was going to be the director changed peter jackson wasn't initially going to direct because he said i caught lightning in a bottle with lord of the rings the first time and i don't want to try to recapture that because why try to recapture it when we did it so perfectly the first time around but he was basically forced to step into the director's chair and didn't have nearly the amount of time to prep that he did with the lord of the rings movies and that made for an unfortunately poor series of films with the three Hobbit movies. And some of it you can attribute to Peter Jackson, like in the behind the scenes of the Hobbit, when he's talking about Radagast riding behind Ruscobel rabbits, his entire team thinks he's joking when he first brings it up because they think this is so outrageous, but he's being completely serious. So like that, that's him just making silly decisions. But then the love triangle between two elves and a dwarf, that's totally the studio 
making them do that. Um, right, because The Hobbit is a is a children's book as compared to The Lord of the Rings, so I can find a lot less fault with Jackson wanting to include Rustville Rabbits in a movie that's adapting a children's story true. to a studio forcing something that was never meant to be included. Like, I guess if you wanted to include Legolas as a player, like, oh, the elves are riding into battle. Oh, who's that? It's an elf we know so well. He lived for a thousand years or whatever. I'm sure it makes sense for him to have been there. Mm-hmm. Include him as a cameo, maybe, but I don't know the whole... Like you said, the love triangle was a little bit of um, poor decision-making. Yeah, and unfortunately, just a lot of it comes down to the fact that they didn't do the work to make a good movie, right. uh, let alone a good adaptation to steer back in that direction. Because you can change that kind of stuff and still make a good movie out of it. Uh, they just didn't give the characterization needed for Toriel, Keeley, and or Feely, whatever. See, that's the problem. You don't know the dwarves uh, other than Thorin. Mm-hmm. There's so many of them, and none of them are given characterization. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted, there, there didn't. If you wanted to include a love story, it didn't have to be a love triangle. And you know, it's heartbreaking to see two people fall in love and then the dwarf dies. Okay, but. Instead, it just gets so much more complicated and so much less effective when there's silliness going on. Right. You just have to build your story a little bit better. Um, To finish off, I'm okay with it being cartoonish because I agree with you. It's a kid's book. So you can make these a little bit more lighthearted and like a little bit more cartoony and fun. Right. Like they have the singing. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they have the hilarious well i don't know about hilarious because i've only seen the movies like once but they have the humorous trolls and sure being via the barrels and whatnot but it's just mixed in with one i think bad acting and poor storytelling and just bad narrative choices and poor adaptation right the changes aren't inherently bad because they're changes it's just the legwork wasn't done to make it a good movie yeah. the way it was done in lord of the rings i also have here included narnia Because I recently read the first two Narnia books, being Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was reading them in order of how they take place in that world, not how in order of how they were written by C.S. Lewis, because I think they were written in a different order than what they take place. And Narnia is a good example, because I watched, I read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then I watched the movie. And that follows the book really well. Um it adds some action just because it's a movie and you want some more action scenes. Like instead of they just walk around a river, they have to dangerously get across the icy river that's falling apart and melting. But that again, that's not a big deal. I think Narnia did a good job of adapting. Do you have anything to say about Narnia? Um, I don't know if I just haven't researched it enough or anything, but I have never heard complaints about Narnia and yeah, but I think along the same lines of The Hobbit, Narnia is also a children's story, and the movies do a lot more work in acknowledging that they are indeed children's stories. The special effects don't look terrible, but they're not especially like realistic. You know, Mr. Tumnus is just as silly-looking as you think he should be. Mm-hmm. And everything, like, I think the actors for the children are good lucy is 
perfectly believable and being this young child who thinks the best in everyone and Edmund does a good job at, I don't know, being tortured maybe or just whatever his character arc is because I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. I kind of included Narnia on here just because it's one of those big, you know, all-time fantasy stories that did have a few movie adaptations. They didn't end up doing all of the, the movies. Um, I, I haven't researched this, but I, I realized that it came out just a couple of years after Lord of the Rings. So I was wondering if maybe they kind of decided to use that as a, as a launching point because it's so similar to Lord of the Rings where they see that was able to have success. Let's try it with Narnia. But I'm not like a huge fan of Narnia, but like I said, I wanted to include it in there because it's uh, such a pillar of this kind of storytelling. So for the last book series that was, that's been adapted, let's get back to, into Game of Thrones just for a few minutes because if you want to, you can listen to Jake and I talk for about an hour and a half about the entirety of the Game of Thrones show, and we'll get into this a little bit on that. But I think if you want to alleviate the sorts of problems that people have with Harry Potter and get a lot more detail into your screen adaptation, you can go with the Game of Thrones route where you turn it into a TV show and you have a lot more time. But that even shows how much stuff was left out. There's characters and plot lines left out of the Game of Thrones show. Yeah, um, and I think that's in part because of the nature of the Game of Thrones books, because each of them is so large and so meaty. They're, in a way, Lord of the Rings on steroids. So even in a TV show, it's just impossible to include all of that. Right, and I was going to say, to go off that, we've seen that just because it's a TV show doesn't inherently mean it's going to be that much better, because right. there have been all the complaints... George R. R. Martin wouldn't have made Danny go bad, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, yes, I think he is going to if he ever does complete the books. Um, that I think that was his plan all along. Uh, but he just would have slash he just will take his time with it because uh, D.B. Weiss and Dan Benioff do a great job of adapting books into tv shows for the first five seasons because those guys definitely have skills and they have the ability to be competent at adapting it's just once they had to adapt to bullet points instead of books that's where they kind of lost their way yeah i would agree with you there so quickly i just want to get into comic adaptations just a little bit mm -hmm. because this is where i think we see the biggest Offenses of gatekeeping, which we were talking about earlier. You definitely know comics about a million times better than I do. <laughs> and the two that I wanted to get into were just the characters of the Joker and of Spider-Man. Right. Because last year, the movie Joker came out. And I've heard some complaints that, oh, I didn't like it because that's not Joker's origin story. And my only response to that is get all the way out of here with that. <laughs> because... <laughs> So what, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> exactly. I'm no comics expert. And right. you can attack me online if you want, because I'm talking about this while not being an expert. Um, but from what I know, there's often different interpretations of characters all the time. Correct? 
Right. So Joker, I don't think has one dedicated origin story. That's the whole premise of the character is he's this mysterious clown who kills people and you don't know where he comes from. Everybody does a different Joker origin story. I mean, there's a Batman series coming out that's literally called Three Jokers, implying that three different Jokers exist mm. in the Batman universe. So one has this origin story, one has that origin story, one has that one. So right. oh, a film's going to have a different origin story. And you can have different versions of the same character because in since 1989, you've had Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, and now Joaquin Phoenix all play the Joker on the big screen in movies, and they've all done something extremely different from the last. Right, and, and Heath think, Ledger's character was never even given a true backstory, and I don't think I hear people complaining about that. Right. Um, and that that's what I love about... Like, I'm not a big fan of comic books or comic book characters in general, but that's what I do appreciate about those kinds of characters in the movies that you're able to make from them is that you can do whatever you want with them pretty much. Yeah. You keep some of the core stuff, but you change stuff up depending on the iteration. Right. And I mean, what it seems like now is that DC has looked at Marvel and said, you know, I don't think we can go that route, but it doesn't matter because they're deciding to do their multiverse of characters rather than do one single large storyline. And that means different versions of different characters with different origins. So the fact that this Joker exists with this particular origin has absolutely no bearing on really anything. Yeah. And that's also a good point because just eight years ago we had the dark Knight rises, which came out where Christian Bale played Batman. And then what was it? 2015 ish when Batman mm-hmm. v Superman came out with Ben Affleck. And now next year in 2021, a Robert Pattinson Batman movie is coming out. Yeah, and then in the future, we're going to have another movie with two different Batman in it. So, Right, yeah. And the Flash movie is coming out where Ben Affleck is coming back, as is Michael Keaton, both to play Batman. So that kind of just goes to my point. It's a lot of fun. For people who are fans of the characters, you should be celebrating and not being like, oh, this one doesn't follow follow the comic story that I wanted while this one does or anything along those lines. It's just like picking up another comic book with another origin story for your character. I have so many different comics of all of my favorite characters that um, have many different origins for them. And guess what? The Captain America origin in the movies isn't the same as the one in the comics. I don't care. I really, really don't. You know, so. Right. I agree. And believe me, I I really hated the movie Joker. I think there's a lot of things to, to criticize about it, but yeah. this just wasn't one of them. And I guess now now that we've had that conversation, there's not a ton to say about Spider Man, because all I wanted to say with it's it's similar where there's been three iterations of Spider Man since 2007 when Spider Man three came out. We've had Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, which makes me hard eyes emoji, and Tom Holland and (laughs) when people talk about who their favorite actor is, who's played Spider-Man, I see Tom Holland is most like the character in the comics. Therefore I like him the most. And And if that's your criteria in this specific situation, when there's these options and you want one that is the most like the comics, 
That's fair, I suppose. But yeah, with me, it's, again, it's subjective. You know, you can right. Say Tom Holland is most like the one in the movies in the comics. Therefore, he is the best. Now, there's a problem there. Right. I like him the best because of that. Okay, I don't have a problem. Right. Like I can say I love Andrew Garfield because I think he's the best actor to have played Spider-Man. And I think he gives the best performance out of the three Spider-Men. But do I know if his movies follow the comics? Not really. And I don't really care because I'm here watching movies that are different than the comics that they're based off of. Yeah. And I guess my only other, my opinion has always been that uh, Spider-Man would be so much better off as a TV show because you can look at the success of the Netflix TV shows, especially um, Daredevil, where they have such good quality, such good backing. And I think that the character of Spider-Man has, like Daredevil, so many varied stories in comics that would go so much better TV shows because many of his arcs are spread out as compared to like one or two condensed stories, if any of that tracks. Yeah, totally. Um, So is there anything else you'd like to say about comics? Because you're the one between the two of us who knows vastly more about comics. You're into them and I'm not. So I think that the direction in which both major film companies are going with all of their adaptations where they're mixing both the films and the movies, Marvel with Disney Plus and uh, DC with all of their different streaming services is the right way to go because it opens up a much more varied or rather a more diverse portfolio of characters. It's more accessible to a larger audience, which I think is um, especially in this time and age where more people want to see more heroes like them is what they should be doing. You're right. And I was even listening to another podcast recently the watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald, they were talking about this very thing where Marvel is going in a direction that the comics have always gone with just like a sort of singular sort of story that everyone follows. There's obviously other iterations that we've talked about, but this is, this is just what I've heard from this podcast that I, and I like their point. Um, they're following one sort of singular, singular track with their movies and TV shows over at Marvel well, whereas DC has always leaned into the multiverse um, and all these different versions of Batman and Superman and all that, um, and they're following suit with their movies. And I thought that was an interesting point to bring up that I hadn't really considered. So the last thing we'll get into while I have you here on the show, as someone who's read a lot of books and a lot of comics, what are one or two or maybe more that, you'd, that you've really liked that you've read in the past that you would like to see get screen adaptations for the first time, either film or TV um, or something that you've seen done already, but that you think could be done better in a different way. I think in terms of comic books, it's nice to see a lot of indie comic stories are getting produced as uh, movies and TV shows. Um, One specific series I've read, not all of, but a lot of, is called Saga. It's a mix of fantasy, science fiction, romance, and a whole lot of other stuff. It's just this crazy out of this world world. Mm. You don't really see anything coming until it hits you. And I think if done right, it would make a very fun 
TV show or movie. I'd love to see the Aragon series redone, and I'm sure the author would love to see that as well. Mm-hmm. Rick Riordan has been very vocal about how much he doesn't appreciate Disney's telling of his Percy Jackson stories, and they're actually now working on um, a TV show adaptation of his books, the original Percy Jackson series, which is very exciting to hear. So in terms of what I would like to see and have seen that I greatly enjoy, I think that nicely sums it up. Yeah, I was going to bring up Percy Jackson for you if you didn't, because I think it's really cool that they're doing a a TV adaptation, which I think is going to be Disney+. Plus most likely going to be Disney plus. Yeah. And I mean, Percy Jackson, no matter how many people like it, it's still also more of a kid story than anything. And mm-hmm. I think a TV show with younger actors, more faithfully adapting a story that's being told there would be really, really, really popular. Right. If you make it to make something good and not to make money, because a lot of time you see, a popular book series, Percy Jackson. Let's make movies as quick as we can. Um, right. But if you're taking your time with it for a Disney Plus show, I, I think it could be good. Um, and I'm glad that you're... Because I I know you've always been a big fan of Percy Jackson, so I'm glad you're going to get that. And Narnia is also another one that's getting the same treatment. Netflix brought, bought the rights for Narnia. They're going to be doing a Narnia series. Um, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Narnia, but I would definitely be watching that mm-hmm. because I'd like to see how they would go for adapting a, the books into a series format. And I'd like to say mm. if Harry Potter ever gets remade, I would like to see it at something like Netflix or HBO where it gets seven seasons and each season is a different year at school because that way you would get the kids at the classes. You would get all the fun stuff like peeves that, that was left out Um I feel like Harry Potter fans would really appreciate that, but especially with how poorly the Fantastic Beasts movies are doing and how little public faith there is in J.K. Rowling, I doubt that that's going to come anytime soon. But the one I would like to say that's never been made that I would love to see is the Rangers Apprentice series. Uh, That's a series of probably young adult fantasy books that I was really into in middle school and high school. Paul Haggis, who directed the Oscar-winning Crash, was supposed to be making those into a movie, at least the first one. And now I saw that back in uh, when I was in middle school, and that's about ten years ago at this point. Those those books, I just really, really loved them. I'm even gonna go and revisit them at some point, just because I want to, you know, get back into that world, see how how well they hold up. I would love to see them be made somehow. Um, and again, if since there's so many stories in that universe and you, and you've read them as well, since there's so many stories there that don't necessarily connect one after the other, the way something like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter does, it would be cool to see that get the series treatment as well. But on that note, I think we could subtitle this Robert and Jake, uh, solve internet debates because (laughs) Part of what makes internet debates so frustrating and exhausting is the way that everyone always says their idea is right. You're wrong if you disagree with me. There's only one way to do a certain thing. Obviously, we think that's completely wrong. Um, Let's have the entire internet listen to this episode, and maybe we'll have solved disagreement in general. Anyway, thanks for being on again. 
Um, I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. We'll find something to talk to you about because I always enjoy talking to you about stuff. Of course. You're very intelligent. That's what I hope to hear or hope to believe that is. So thank you for being on and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks for having me. It's a good time. Now we're going to move on to the Q&A section of the show. I'm joined now again by Laura, and she's going to help me by reading off the questions and make it so I'm not just sitting here talking to a microphone, (laughs) but instead talking to a person to bounce conversation off of. Well, I'm happy to be that person for you. What's the first question? All right. First question from MK Booth asked, what movie became less impressive as time went on? So this is my dad, friend of the show, he's been on a couple times. And I, I couldn't think of too many good answers for this, but I was able to come up with two. Uh, number one was the first Avengers movie that came out, which, of course, just like everyone else who saw it in 2012, I loved it when it first came out. But since then, I've kind of soured a little bit on superhero movies in general. So this one just isn't as impressive to me. Plus, superhero movies in general have also just gotten better. When this one first came out, it was like, wow, all these Avengers are finally teaming up. They're in the same movie. This is iconic. This is this is something that we've never seen before. But now with stuff like Infinity War and Endgame, it's almost become commonplace. And it's not even just the Marvel, Marvel movies. It's with like Justice League 2 or uh, Batman v Superman. It's just not as big of a wow factor to see it like it used to be. So I still like the movie. It's just not one of my favorites the way that it used to be. That makes sense. And the other one that I thought of was Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. That one, it was a quick souring for me. I came out of the theater really liking it because it gave me that good Star Wars feeling. Um, I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the action and I enjoyed the dialogue, but literally on the drive home when we started talking about it that's when i started thinking like this didn't make a whole lot of sense it changed up what ryan johnson did with the last jedi which i absolutely love the whole point of that one was ray was no one and the force can belong to anyone and then all of a sudden nope she's a palpatine um it's a good idea where you know you can change you can stray from who your family is like her grandfather is palpatine which means she has evil blood but she decided to be good she took the name of skywalker anyway um but that one doesn't hit home nearly as well and i'm sure it's not nearly as worldwide or uh, as the messages in the last jedi do you know what i mean yeah i felt the same way about the message yeah and then plus it has her burying luke and leia's lightsabers on Tatooine at the end where Luke's last memory was seeing his his aunt and uncle burned there on Tatooine and Leia had never been there the whole movie is just the same thing as Avengers Endgame which I didn't like at all from the very beginning but it's hey look remember all this other stuff that's happened in Star Wars that's cool uh we're just gonna do it for you again and I didn't appreciate that especially after really loving The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi all right, so our next question is from Ratings with four Zs. From Instagram. Oh, uh, yeah, the Instagram handle. All right, they asked, who's your favorite TV, ser- TV series character? 
This is a really tough one. So I'm not going to give just one character that I really love. I'm just going to give a bunch. Um, you and I in the past have talked about Modern Family on here. So I have to choose just a few from Modern Family. This person asked for one character, but I'm going to give a bunch. And it's a, off to a bad start when I'm giving three from the same show. And I'm going to go with Phil Dunphy, Cam, and Mitch. You know, we talked about it on the Modern Family episode. If you want to hear my full thoughts on these characters, you can go <laughs> listen to that. But Phil is just the kind of character that I that I love. He's like the lovable idiot, but who means well in everything that he does. And then Cam and Mitch just have that lovable drama all around them the entire time. But you know that they have that heart on that core of actually loving each other. And that's where it all comes from, even though there's a constant you know, drama and bickering between the two of them at, mm-hmm. at the core of it all. It's just because they love each other and they make an, an actual great couple. Um, I'll go with Andy and Ron Swanson and April Ugate from Parks and Rec. You know, I talked about Parks and Rec also on a on an episode, on a Chris Pratt episode with Ben. Andy is from, cut from a similar branch as Phil, so that's kind of why I love him. Uh, April the way that she hates everyone but (laughs) loves Andy and loves their dog that's just perfect and then Ron is one of the most genius characters to ever be come up with in television history I I have to say and lastly I'll just go with Jon Snow from Game of Thrones Jon Snow is kind of and again we (laughs) I have an episode on this with with Jake on Game of Thrones but he's the kind of character who always strives to do the right thing and that's the kind of character that I'm always drawn to whether it's in a movie, whether it's in a show, a book, anything. I'm just always interested in the character that, at all costs, no matter what the world around them is like, they try to do the right thing. And Jon Snow, that, that's what he is. He's all about honor. He's all about keeping his word, following what he thinks is right. Um, and, of course, he's just a cool character also. He's great with a sword. He, there's a lot of great action scenes with... John at the center. I'm not always a huge TV fan. Like I haven't seen a lot of the great shows, but those are just a few of my favorites because I tend to gravitate towards sitcoms. So that's where I got the, the Modern Family and the Parks and Rec characters. And because of my love for Lord of the Rings, which I have to mention on every podcast, uh, I've always loved Game of Thrones. So that's where the Jon Snow choice comes from. Yeah, I was going to say, why are you saying something from Lord of the Rings? But it's asking about TV series character. So those are probably the favorites that I would have picked for you if I had to guess what your favorites were. So that was good. All right, next question is from JohnBenjamin0215 on Instagram. He asked, favorite Johnny Depp movie? So this is an easy one, fortunately and unfortunately. Fortunately, in the sense, because it's an easy answer, unfortunately, in the sense that I haven't seen a lot of Johnny Depp, and it's got to be the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, I guess this whole Q&A section is just going to be me plugging other episodes that I've done, (laughs) but if you want full thoughts on Pirates of the Caribbean, you can listen to an episode I did on that. But I just love the, the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, the first three at least. Johnny Depp is what makes them. He's not necessarily the main character or the the moral center, I think Will and Elizabeth are, of the first three. Um, And that's where the fourth and fifth one kind of go astray because they make Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow the main character, and he's not really meant to carry that load. Um, But in the first three, he's used perfectly, and I love all three of those movies. So Johnny Depp, 
my favorite movie of his is definitely Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, with obvious shout-outs to Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, as well as I'll give a shout-out to What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which is a movie that came out in the 90s, which most people probably know about, with Leonardo DiCaprio when he was pretty young. I think he was only 17 or 18, and Johnny Depp plays his older brother. They have a nice chemistry, even though the prevailing idea around the even though the prevailing story around that movie is that they really hated each other on set DiCaprio he was always bothering Johnny Depp and Johnny Depp was always really annoyed by him but it doesn't come across at all on screen Johnny Depp's a really loving older brother and puts puts family first and I really I really appreciate that yeah I'm glad that you said Pirates of the Caribbean because I love those movies too all right, your next question is from Sarah Reardon. She asked, Marvel versus DC. So like I mentioned earlier, I'm not super into superhero movies anymore. I used to be. That's kind of what my my movie taste used to be, with just like the big mm-hmm. blockbusters, go to, go to see the action movie uh, with recognizable IP. But I've kind of moved on from that. And I'm not saying that those movies aren't good, because obviously everything is just a matter of taste, just rewind this episode and you'll understand with my conversation with Jake um, but if I had to choose between Marvel and DC at least the movies because I'm not a comics reader I would say Marvel because first of all there's more variety I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies I love Black Panther um, and this unfortunately is recording just after the death of Chadwick Boseman who was just a total icon and he made Black Panther what it was because of his performance on screen and because of what he encapsulated off screen he went to visit kids he was always uh, there's that video of him going to talk to people who were just talking to the poster of Black Panther about how much they appreciated the representation that the movie was bringing and here he is actually showing up in person to those people there's just so much about Chadwick Boseman that made Black Panther great so that automatically gives Marvel some extra points for me Um, I also love Infinity War even though I said I don't love Endgame I think Infinity War is one of the better superhero movies that's come out since the comic book movie genre has hit the boom that it's had in the last decade, decade and a half I would just say Marvel over DC simply because of the MCU versus DCEU. Of course, each of the companies has their own fringe movies, like DC has the Dark Knight trilogy, which I would say is better than any of the MCU or better than any of the, the other superhero movies. Those are my some of my favorite superhero movies, mostly because I love Christopher Nolan. Another episode plug. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you're talking about all your favorites of things, so that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. But when, like I said, when it comes to the MCU versus DCEU, the DCEU just is too monotonous for me, and I can't get down with that monotone. Um, other than Man of Steel, I don't really like anything that the DCEU has done, but I I really love, like I said, some of the MCU, and I like a, a lot of the other movies. But overall, it's just not really completely my thing. I'll, I'll watch the movies now and again, but... I, I prefer other types of movies. That makes sense. All right, Elizabeth Bigelow asked, why do you appreciate movies in different ways than TV shows? So we hinted at this just a minute ago. But I think for me, 
it's just the time commitment between the two. And that's why I tend to just watch more uh, sitcoms than I do drama shows. So I got into Game of Thrones because of the fantasy aspect of it. And I got into Breaking Bad. When uh, I watched it on Netflix, I got into that just because of its reputation. And I thought it was good, but I don't love it the way I love a lot of movies. Similar with Lost. Like, Lost is a show that I really love. But for some reason, I can't just always keep my mind on a show the way I can on a movie. And it really just does come down to the time commitment between the two. But aren't TV shows are only like an hour long, whereas movies like three hours? Right, but that's just an episode of a much larger story. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just feel like I'm the exact opposite. Like, I'd rather watch a TV show because it's short and you can watch a whole bunch or just one if you don't have time. Yeah, but for me, when it comes to a movie... I get the full idea of what the director or the writer is trying to say and that's what I'm that's what interests me about stories in general it's just like learning from different points of view learning different people's perspectives how they express themselves in these specific ways Um, so I don't get that as much in TV and I'm just not as well versed in it like there might there might be a great episode that comes out but I won't understand the message of that specific episode unless it's something like Black Mirror or Atlanta, where it's not like where the episodes don't necessarily flow directly from one to the from one to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, at least when it comes to drama, because like we said, a sitcom is completely different. And it, like we said, if I'm going to watch a TV show, it's typically going to be a sitcom, as evidenced by my favorite characters. You know, I'm just more interested in having a laugh and having that 20 minute runtime of a tv show on netflix like i said i just prefer movies because i can learn even though it is a little longer than you know the 20 or 45 minute tv episode i'll get the full idea of what the person is trying to say and that's what i appreciate more does that make sense to you yeah i like that i never really i never really got that perspective before but that makes sense now i didn't really know that about you and again i'm not saying tv is bad it's just yeah it's just how I consume things. You always want to watch a movie. All right. Next question is from Kelly Reif. She said, rank late night hosts. What are your thoughts on SNL? So that's kind of two questions in one. So you can just, I don't know, I'm assuming you're just going to say both of them. Yeah, it is kind of two questions in one and that's fine. As, as for the late night hosts, I never sit down and just watch a full episode of a late night show. Like I'm not going to be like, oh, it's 11 o'clock time to turn on Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. Yeah. But I do watch, what I appreciate most of them is watching their interviews because I'm super into movies and somewhat into TV. So I'm interested in what uh, actors or directors have to say when they come on their shows. For this question, I'll go with the ranking of Colbert, Fallon, Kimmel, Noah, Corden, Conan, and Seth Meyers. So I'll go least favorite to favorite. I'll, I would definitely put James Corden last. I think James Corden, when he first started doing Carpool Karaoke, that was cool and fun and novel. But since then, it's a little bit overdone. You know, the Carpool Karaoke thing, that's still cool. It doesn't happen that often. But I think James Corden has tried to make himself a thing more than his show, if that makes sense. He shows up in a lot of movies randomly as in like cameos. He was just randomly 
in the last jedi in the opening of that movie his he was a pilot that blew up and it takes me out whenever i see james corden it's like oh james corden's trying to get in the spotlight again do you, do you know what i mean yeah like i'm here watching the last jedi for the first time back a few years ago trying to get myself into this situation of how all these pilots are dying then all of a sudden i see james corden like, like screaming and dying i'm like oh that completely took me out of it. There's James Corden. Hmm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So James Corden would definitely be last for me. Next, from the bottom, I would put probably Jimmy Kimmel. Um, just because I think Jimmy Kimmel relies too much on off-color humor. And the point of a late-night show is definitely to be funny. You know, and that's fine, of course. That's the core of it. These, these late-night hosts want to make jokes. But when, like, a good microcosm of what I'm what I'm thinking of is his interview with Joaquin Phoenix last year when Joker came out. Joaquin doesn't do a lot of press appearances like like with uh, Jimmy Kimmel, but he was doing it because Joker was such a big movie. And then Jimmy Kimmel was kind of just making fun of all this kind of stuff that Joaquin Phoenix was being very serious about. He was telling him about how dancing used to be a big passion of his when he was young, and that's how he kind of brought it into his portrayal of the Joker. And then Jimmy Kimmel was just, just making random off-color jokes, and Joaquin was kind of getting offended at it. Um, some of it might have been scripted, but either way, it's just not fun to watch that sort of thing for me. And everyone makes fun of Jimmy Jimmy Fallon's laugh, but I think Jimmy Kimmel's laugh is even more annoying. Um, all he All he's interested in is the silliness, and that's just not for me. After that, I would put Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, similarly to Jimmy Kimmel, he, he tries to make a family-friendly version of what Kimmel does, in a way. He makes it he makes his interviews silly, and they don't really get into deep conversations, which is what I'm searching for, personally, when I watch late-night clips. Um, and I know that's not what you're going to get most of the time, but some of these hosts are able to do that. So with Fallon, he has that fake laugh, it's just kind of off-putting. And his the games that he plays, they're fun, but also, why is this what we're interested in as a society? Like, Bo Burnham, we talked about him. He, he has a good uh, bit talking about how Jimmy Fallon's celebrity lip-sync and games are just the end of culture, because why do we sit on YouTube for hours watching celebrities lip-sync to songs that we've heard too much of and just watching random people playing these random games. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Fallon, there's nothing inherently wrong with him to me, but just the kind of childishness of his show is kind of off-putting. So that's why he's just smack dab in the middle for me. Then I would put Conan. And this is where I would say is the top tier of the late night hosts. Conan, I think, does a, does a good job of balancing the good conversation with making jokes and I really appreciate that I don't have a ton to say about him but I think he's just fun and, and laid back and I enjoy watching his clips on on YouTube so Conan he's just really really solid I think and then I would have Trevor Noah I know he's not a late night host in the same sense as most of these other guys but I wanted to put him on here because I think he does a lot of really good stuff he does the Daily Show, which he took over for Jon Stewart, I don't remember how many years ago, but he's done a really good job ever since he took over. I know Jon Stewart was 
an icon of of this sort of format, but Trevor Noah's come in and he's done his own thing and I think is really, really good. He has a lot of good stuff to say. He He's incredibly smart. He knows how to have good conversations, even with people that he disagrees with. Um, I think it's just really important to... This is this is the kind of political humor that I'm that I'm interested in, like the political discussion. He knows how to say, he knows how to critique what's going on while also being lighthearted about it, and also, you know, being serious about it when needed. Because when the George Floyd killing first happened, he had a like nine minute long video, nine or fifteen something like that minute long video that he just posted to his YouTube talking about um, how Black Americans are upset. Um, and why all the protests are happening. So Trevor Noah is just incredibly smart, and I think he's an, an important voice to have in this late-night area because if, if you haven't noticed, everyone here is white. Everyone here is just a middle-aged white guy other than Trevor Noah. And I realize I've left out Seth Meyers, but Seth Meyers is kind of just a nothing to me, so <laughs> he's going to be last. And then first, I would definitely put Stephen Colbert. Colbert, unfortunately, he is a lot different than he was on the Colbert Report. And that's only unfortunate because of how great the Colbert Report was. That was just the height of political satire at the time. But I think he's turned into a very, very, very good late-night host. He's himself. He also is very smart. um, And he's willing to talk openly about who he is and about things that are difficult to talk about. So, like, he's had Ricky Gervais on a couple times, and Colbert is a very famously devout Catholic, while Ricky Gervais is very famously an atheist, and they've had very respectful conversations where they're making points at each other, um, and it's the kind of thing that you don't see often, especially in the Internet age. So I really appreciate what Colbert is able to do. Also, he's a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so... A lot of times there'll be some good Tolkien references on his show, so that that's always fun for me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that you would like. So there you have it, and those are my late night host rankings. And as for SNL, I don't watch a lot of SNL. Uh, this isn't something that I have a lot to say about. Um, every once in a while, I'll see a good a good sketch that they do, like the Kylo Ren undercover boss or something like that. But I'm I'm not again. I'm not against SNL. I've just never really gotten into it. All right, so let's just pick a one more question here. Um, another one from Sarah Rudin. She asked, what is the best rom-com for people who hate rom-coms? So I have a few answers for this, and I guess it's not going to be the best rom-com, but it's just a few that came to mind off the top of my head. Um, first, I would say something really recent, and that's Palm Springs. That one, it's obviously romantic, and it's obviously a comedy, but it's also got the time loop aspect, the the Groundhog Day knockoff I don't want to call it a knockoff because it does it its own way and it's not just you know riding the coattails of what Groundhog Day did but I I really I really like Palm Springs and I'm glad people are really loving it this year it's just a lot of fun and it's the kind of comfort movie that that we would like during this time of of quarantine and lockdown and social unrest yeah I want to watch that movie again that movie is also really fun because it's about a wedding that takes place on our wedding day so that, that was extra fun to watch with you. Yeah. 
I would also add about time, which I've talked about on this on this podcast, of course. Another <laughs> another plug. Um, if you want to turn off this podcast or yell at me online, come do it because I just can't stop plugging myself. But that's fine. <laughs> um, but I obviously I really love about time, and it's not technically a romantic comedy, I guess. But I think to sell people on it, you have to say that it's kind of a rom com, but it's much more than that you know mm-hmm. it's more of a family movie it's more of a movie about life with heavy romantic elements in the first section of the movie um, I'll also go with The Graduate The Graduate is you know just an all-time great Dustin Hoffman probably gives his best performance in this movie it's not your typical laugh out loud comedy and it's not your typical romance with like boy meets girl fall in love but it has a lot to say about the romantic comedy or the romantic genre just in general. Um, I think it's a little ahead of its time in what it's saying. And I, I really love the graduate. And last I'll add something that you disagreed with me, um, even fitting into this category. And that's Midsommar because it's not a (laughs) rom-com. It's definitely romantic in the sense that it deals with a romantic couple, you know, the main the main character and her boyfriend, their breakup is the main plot line of the story. Um, and comedy, this is a darkly funny movie. I've seen it three or four times and I laugh out loud every time at it. It's, again, it's very, very dark, but I still really think it's hilarious a lot of times. Um, and that's part of what I really love about it. So this isn't, it's definitely not your rom-com in the 500 Days of Summer sense, but if you're trying to find something twisted and different, but also with romantic and comedic elements, I think Midsommar is a good a good choice for you. And I disagree. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> but thank you for listening to this episode. That's all the questions we have. Thank you for everyone who asked questions. I thought this was pretty fun. Maybe I'll do it again at some point. Be sure to tune in for the next episode that's devoted to Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman is one of my favorite actors working today. He's done a lot of great movies, and I might have a couple guests pop in and out, like I did when I talked about Donald Gleason. Um, make sure to find the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes. Make sure you review and subscribe on on iTunes. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at underscore Rob's Thoughts, and on Instagram at Robert's Thoughts. And you can find the blog itself at roberts-thoughts.com. So again, thanks to Luke for the artwork. Thanks to Laura for asking me questions and for the intro and outro music. You're welcome. Thanks to Jake for being a good guest, and thanks to you for listening. Bye.